0: Well, welcome. I want to welcome you guys once again to Providence Road. Um, If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld and I'm a covenant member here. And we are very grateful and thankful that you're uh, here with us this morning. Before we do anything, let's pray and ask God to do uh, an amazing work in our hearts this morning as we uh, look at his word. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that because of your grace and mercy, you woke us up this morning, and you have uh, brought us into this place. And so, Father, we come into this place with all of our baggage and all of our brokenness and all of our uh, failed hopes and dreams, all of our um, shame and guilt, and uh, we come to you, Father. And a part of us wonders how you see us in result of all of those things. And for some of us, it wants to make us run and hide. And for others of us, it makes us want to try to clean ourselves up to receive your acceptance and love and grace. But Father, as we're going to see from your word. Uh, There's nothing that we can do to do any of that, that you offer to us the perfect holiness and righteousness and perfection of your son, which clothes us and allows us to come into your presence now and forever based on him and his word, not ours. And so, Father, as we look at your word and as we see this amazing truth, that it would set us free this morning. That the truths of your word, the truths of who we are in your son may truly, truly, truly bring us more freedom and joy this morning. Holy Spirit, do your work, giving us eyes to see, for we are 100% dependent upon your work and your power to give us eyes to see who we are, apart from your son and in your son, that we may glory in your son. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I've been a Christian now for over 20 years, but for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I had a different perspective on what the Christian life is all about compared to the last 10 years of my Christian life. That's a lot of times I've said Christian life, I know. So this morning, I want to share with you two different perspectives on the Christian life because I believe many of you are like me. Either at one time you lived out the Christian life from the wrong perspective and you've come to realize and see what the Christian life was all about and it's radically changed your life. But some of you are still living in this wrong perspective on the Christian life and it radically needs to change this morning, Because what we are going to see from our passage is that there are two ways to live the Christian life. One is not really Christian at all, but it is the way that we have been taught what the Christian life is all about. But as we're going to see from our passage, this way of living the Christian life leads to doubt and pride and joylessness. And some of you are experiencing this this morning. But there is another way. And it is the right way to live the Christian life, and this way ultimately leads to freedom and joy and salvation. So if we want to know if we have it right in regards to what the Christian life is all about, if we want our lives to be filled with more freedom and joy, if we want to glorify God more in our lives, then we need to pay close attention this morning because we cannot afford to get this wrong. We have to see from Scripture what the Christian life is all about. So I want to start this morning by looking at the wrong perspective. And it comes to us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul is giving this warning or this instruction to the Christians in the city of Philippi. And this is what he is saying He says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is given two instructions, two warnings here. He says, uh, put no confidence in the flesh and look out for the dogs. Now, the dogs are those who say and teach that the Christian life is is all about what you do or do not do in order to receive or to gain God's acceptance of you. So ultimately, what they want to do is they want to put certain requirements on you that you have to meet in order to be accepted by God. So in this context, the dogs are those who say and teach that in order to be made right with God, you have to be circumcised. And so these false teachers, they're coming into the church, and ultimately what they're doing is they're adding certain expectations, requirements, from the external point of view that you have to meet and do in order to receive God's acceptance, love, favor, and grace. Think about it like a checklist. So these false teachers are saying that you have to do all of these things, that you have to check all of these boxes, these external requirements in order to maintain a right relationship with God. Essentially, it is a self-improvement plan that if you follow correctly, you will receive God's acceptance and grace and love. The dogs teach and say that Jesus is not sufficient to bring you into a right relationship with God, and to keep you in a right relationship with God. And this way of living the Christian life is Jesus plus you name it, and it is not the right way to live the Christian life. When I first became a Christian, I was taught and shown that this is the way to live the Christian life. After I came to Christ, I asked someone, well, now that I am a Christian, what am I supposed to do? And I was given a list of things to do. Now, they were all good things like read my Bible and pray. And love and serve my neighbor more than I love and serve myself. And above all, that I am to love God above everything else in my life. And so I responded to this person and said, okay, let me understand and to see if I understand you correctly. Now that I am a Christian, I am to stay away from alcohol and not cuss." I'm to read my Bible and I'm to pray. I am to love and serve my neighbor more than I love my servant self. I am to love God above everything else in my my life. Is that correct? And they said, right, you got it. Now, this is what I actually heard. That if I do all of these things that God expects me to do, then God will accept me. If I meet all of these expectations and standards, then God will be pleased with me, and He will love me, and I will receive what I have earned, which is His favor and love and acceptance and eternal life. You see, I believe that Christ died for my sin, but it was up to me to maintain this right relationship with God based on what I do or do not do. And so for the next 10 years or the first 10 years of my Christian life, I tried to receive God's love to receive God's acceptance by meeting all of his expectations and standards. So the goal of my life was not to please God as a response of who he is and what he has done for me, but the goal of my life was trying to please God in order to receive something from him, namely his acceptance and love. But you know what, for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I rarely felt accepted and loved by God. Why? because I can never meet his expectations. I was constantly falling short of the standards of what it meant to be a really good Christian. When I did good, which I felt like was not very often, man, I felt really good about my relationship with God. Him and I were tight. But when I messed up, when I failed to meet the expectations that I know were placed upon me to be a good Christian. When I found myself not really wanting to love my neighbor as my, more than myself and to love God above all things, you know what happened? I despaired. And I constantly felt like God was disappointed of me. You know the, 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 the story of the father running to the, to the son who comes back? That was not my view of the Father. The view of the Father for me was he was waiting on the front porch, waiting for me to get back and to apologize for all the things that I failed. That was my understanding and view of God. So then I began to try to work harder to gain his acceptance, to gain his approval based on what I did and did not do. And so for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I was miserable because I could never get his acceptance and love. But to make matters worse, if if it can get any worse, when I had any success, you know what happened? I became very prideful. I began to look down upon those lukewarm Christians who didn't read their Bible and pray and go to church as much as I did. I started comparing myself to other Christians, and now I thought that God owed me something as a result of my spiritual devotion to Him. But the whole time of doing and not doing what I knew was expected of me, I rarely felt close to God. And my love for him definitely was not increasing. In fact, I felt further and further away from him because here's the truth of this way of living. It is not Christian. It is not the purpose of the Christian life. Listen, trying to gain God's acceptance and love of you by meeting his expectations and standards will only lead you down a path of misery, doubt, and darkness. Because here's the truth. You will never be able to meet his expectations and standards of you. Never. Ever. Listen, if this describes your life, if this describes your mindset and your goal of the Christian life, then you actually need to turn from it. You need to be honest with yourself and honest with God and come to this realization that no matter what you do, it will never be good enough to meet God's expectations and standards to earn and receive His acceptance of you. And so the the most important words you can say to yourself and God is, I can't. God, I know I should measure up to your expectations and standards, but I have not and I cannot. Listen, you come, until you come to this realization that you have failed to meet His expectations, that you cannot meet His expectations, then you're going to continue on this enslaving path of trying to earn God's acceptance of you, but you will never get it. Now, the dogs want you to believe that you can. But the only way, listen carefully, the only way to be accepted by God is to actually turn from trusting in your own external self-effort and results of your spiritual devotion, and you actually turn to the one who met all of God's standards and expectations for you, and this name is Jesus Christ. The way to freedom and joy. Freedom and joy is meant for the Christian and for the Christian life. Now, if you're not experiencing that, It could be because of this, of you are putting trust in your own effort and your own religious accomplishment to gain God's acceptance and uh, and love of you In your own righteousness, you're banking on your own righteousness. But the reality and truth of the gospel of Christianity is you actually need to turn from that and turn to the one who has gained God's acceptance for you no matter what you do or do not do. You've got to see that. That in order to be made right with God and in order to maintain a right relationship with God, it is based on you looking and putting your confidence in the one who gained God's acceptance for you based on His work, not your own. That has to be the foundation. If it's not the foundation that you're going to go out and you're going to obey, which I'm not... We are to obey the Father. We are to obey His commands. But you're going to run out and obey in order to get accepted. But you start from this point of being accepted, and now the fruit is obedience. We turn from our own self, looking to our own self to earn God's acceptance and favor. And we turn to Jesus Christ to receive a righteousness that is not of our own, but that actually comes from God. God's very own righteousness can be ours as a gift. So look at verse 4. Paul lays this out. He says, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So basically he's saying, listen, if acceptance by God is based on the, the flesh or based on your religious accomplishment, I'm the dude, okay? So he lays it out. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul is giving his spiritual resume, and it is absolutely impressive. It puts Billy Graham's resume to shame. I mean, he is the dude. And so if we want to try to earn God's acceptance, man, we have to not really compare ourselves to ourselves or another Christian sitting next to us. I mean, we need to compare ourselves to Paul, and his resume blows our resume out of the water. So there's no hope in that, because he's saying, hey, I, I had it all, but now listen, listen to what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had in these things, for like spiritual credit, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from my own religious accomplishments, but where does it come from? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen, if anyone, if anyone could be accepted by God based on religious accomplishments and external religious devotion, he was the man. Paul was the dude. Right? So he's saying, I had the nationality, I had the upbringing, I had the standard of morality, I had the rule keeping. Paul had it all. And as I mentioned earlier, none of us in this room can compare to him. But what he is saying here, by the grace of God, Paul came to this realization that none of it was good enough. That no matter what he did for God, it was not enough to receive God's acceptance based on meeting His perfect standard and expectation. He came to this place that every single one of us need to come to. Paul came to the end of himself, and he gave it all up. He's not giving up loss as far as these things being like these uh, earthly uh, possessions. What he's giving up are the things that he once trusted in for spiritual credit to receive and earn God's salvation. He's saying all of it, all the self-effort, all the rule-keeping, the nationality is not spiritual credit, but instead debts. They are worthless. They have no value when it comes to being made right with God. Paul saw himself as absolutely bankrupt. You see, Paul is describing a ledger. Now, I'm horrible with numbers. I finally passed college algebra by taking a math class at OCCC where we studied mathematicians and quilt patterns. <laughs> I do not know how it transferred into my degree at OU, but I'm thankful it did because I still be trying to pass college algebra for my degree. But you do not have to be good at math to understand what Paul's doing here. So in Paul's day, an accountant would have drawn a T. So on the left side, you list your debts. Right side, you list your credits. You would do the math to see how much you're worth. And so Paul is listing all the things he once thought were his spiritual credits that he trusted in to receive God's love and acceptance and grace. He begins to write Morality. Religious practices, circumcision, spiritual devotion, upbringing, rule keeping, nationality. We can add baptism. We can add church attendance. We can add being raised in a Christian home. We can add being born to nation under God. Quiet times. He lists them all and he begins to count them. And he says the most stunning and surprising thing about every single one of those spiritual credits, they are worthless. As he says, they are just a big pile of manure. How about that? It's pretty descriptive of our religious devotion in trying to make ourselves righteous in God's sight to be accepted by him. Because you see, The reality and the truth is this. All of our self efforts in trying to become righteous and holy, man, I I don't think that we truly understand and see the holiness and righteousness of God. And so, if I'm being accused of not taking the law seriously, I think you're not taking the law seriously because if we don't understand and see how beautiful and how amazing the law really is and how it reveals that we are truly unrighteous. And so if we want to be accepted by God, the only way to be accepted by God is to receive a perfect righteousness that we do not have. You can go out and you can try to earn it but it will will leave you bankrupt. So the good news of the gospel, guys, the good news of Christianity, that Paul saw and that Paul reveals to us, that God reveals to us in his word through Paul, is that, listen very carefully, there is another source of righteousness that will meet all of God's standards and expectations. There is another source of righteousness that we can receive, that we do not have to do anything to work for, that we simply receive by faith, and it is the very righteousness of God that comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you want to be made right with God, if you want to maintain a right relationship with God, and if you have received Christ by faith, you know what? You are righteous. You are righteous now as a result of being in Christ. Listen, more than anything in my life, more than anything else in my life, I want you to see more clearly of what happens to when you turn from trusting in yourself and you turn and you trust in Christ. I want you to be assured this morning. I want you to be confident this morning and this coming year of what happens when you stop looking to yourself to try to earn and receive God's love and acceptance and see that you already have God's love and acceptance through Jesus Christ. What happens to you when you trust Christ? All of your debts, all of your sins, all the times that you have fallen short of being God's standards and expectations. The pile of dung that demands God rejection of you. Christ took upon himself at the cross. And so as a result, one by one, God removes them. And he no longer counts them against you. And in place of those debts, he credits the perfect righteousness and obedience of his son, Jesus Christ. And now that you are in Christ, you are righteous. Why? Because Christ is now your righteousness. You see that? We have to see that and understand that, that we are righteous in Him. Therefore, we go and we be who we are, which is righteous. We don't go and try to earn it, to become it. We are righteous in Him. Therefore, we go and we live out who we are in Christ, which is righteous. And as a result of being righteous in Christ, man, we have God's acceptance now and forever, and there's nothing that we need to do to add to that. Even when you fail, and you're going to fail to live up to God's expectations and standards, it doesn't disqualify you or do anything in regards to your righteousness in Christ. Can't add to it, and there's nothing you can do to take it away. There's no plus and minus anymore. It is just you are righteous in Christ. We get that. Yes. Thanks, brother. <laughs> so, what does this do for us now? Like, how does this um, change the way that we live? There was a <clears throat> a quote that I came to understand and see about 10 years ago. That really was kind of the beginning of transforming my understanding of what the Christian life is all about. And it comes from uh, desiring God. Y'all know desiring God, John Piper. Some of you know uh, this, uh, this, this quote. It's gonna be on the screen. If you have not heard it, I would encourage you to write it down. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You see, when you understand and see who God is, and all of His grace, and all of His mercy, and all of His kindness, when you see who you are in Christ, when you see what God has done for you in Christ, when you see all the promises that He makes to you as a result of being in Christ, your response isn't just simply seeing and believing. Your response is joy, rejoicing. At the very beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, we are given a command, rejoice in the Lord. Well, how are we going to rejoice in the Lord? Are we just going to put the self-effort into rejoicing in the Lord? No, we rejoice in the Lord by seeing who Jesus is for us. We rejoice in the Lord by glorying in Christ Jesus. And what that means is, as we see him for who he is, and he gets the glory. And you know what? We get the joy. So now the Christian life is not about doing things to get things from God. But the Christian life now is about knowing Christ. And as a result of knowing Christ in a deeper way, we get joy in him, and he gets the glory. You see how that changes your Christian life? Christian life now is not about effort to receive God's acceptance based on what you do or do not do. Now the Christian life is seeking to know Christ, knowing who you are in Him, and now rejoicing in Him. And by us rejoicing in Him and saying, you satisfy me, Jesus, more than anything else, He gets the glory and we get the joy. That's good news, isn't it? I hope that radically, radically transforms your understanding of what the Christian life is all about. Hey, read your Bible. Why? To know Christ. Pray. Why? To know Him deeper. As a result of knowing Him deeper through word and prayer, we see Him for who He is, we see who we are now as a result of Him, and now we go out and we live like Christ. We see who we are and then we go and we be who we are. So the fruit of obedience is seeing all that God is for us and who we are in him, which then enables us to go out and live out the commands that are placed upon us on the Christian life. I'm not downplaying obedience and and walking in the spirit of obeying the, the commands of Christ. It is just how do we get there? I mean, I can give you a list of things to go do, but that's not going to produce the fruit within you to actually go do it and motivate you to do it. It is to see Christ and know Christ. So here's my prayer for us for 2024 it's pretty simple. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. As I read your word, Father, show me your glory. As I spend time in prayer, show me your glory. I want to know you. All I have is you. All I want is you. Now, at times, my heart doesn't feel that way, but it is true. I want to want that. You with me? I want to want him to be all that I want. It's not going to happen perfectly in this life. When we see him face to face, it will finally be satisfied. But in the here and now, in 2024, may the cry of our heart be, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That we may stay with Paul. Indeed, truly, I count everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, for his glory, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we confess that it's at times really hard to believe the truths of the gospel, that you welcome us and you accept us as we are, not as we are supposed to be. That you love us here and now right where we are at. And you do not demand for us to go and clean ourselves up before you welcome and love us and accept us, but that we are loved and accepted more than we can ever imagine as a result of being in your son. That is him that we are clean. It is because of him that we are holy and blameless. It's because of him that you see us as righteous and that we are accepted by you now and forever in and through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may that cause us to run to you and not away from you. May that cause us to seek to want to know your glory, that in this coming year, even today, that you would continue to show us your glory. That we may glory in you and find our joy in you. We're thankful for all the things that you have done for us to bring us into right relationship with you. So may we see that more clearly today. And may that produce much freedom and joy, and may that produce a life that is pleasing to you as a result of seeking to obey you, as a result of who you are and what you have done, not what we can do for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.